Hello and welcome to this week's podcast version of Scripps 5 Must Know Things. This time for the Business Week ended 27th May 2022. This is Ian Haydock. This time, Ichazimod comes through for Pfizer, PTC confident on gene therapy, could CAR-Ts roll into the community setting, the attractions of Boston for Korean bioventures, and the impact of the Ukraine war on Sputnik vaccines. Based on an incomplete dataset and its own understanding of the ulcerative colitis market, Pfizer took something of a leap of faith in December when it agreed to acquire Arena Pharmaceuticals for $6.7 billion. But detailed results from the Phase 3 Elevate UC trials presented at Digestive Disease Week on 24th May show the M&A move was not a misstep. Michael Corbo, who's Chief Development Officer for Pfizer's Immunology and Inflammation franchise, noted in an interview with Scripps Mandy Jackson that the company only saw blinded data from the Elevate UC12 and Elevate UC52 trials of Etrazimod when it was trying to decide whether to buy Arena late last year. The deal closed in March. We basically had to use our own knowledge of the area, and obviously some statistics and modelling and also built trust with the ARENA colleagues, and that trust was then translated into working with our senior leaders, working with our board, and making an offer that was accepted, Corbo said. The exciting part is that we did get it right, which is good. The data are very strong. Pfizer announced top-line results from both studies in late March, noting only that the readouts were statistically significant and saving remission rate primary endpoint data and secondary endpoint results for DDW. In the data from the year-long Elevate UC52 study, 27% of patients treated with Trazimod achieved clinical remission at week 12, compared to 7.4% who received a placebo, with 32.1% in the Trazimod group and 6.7% in the placebo group in remission at week 52, both p-values less than 0.001. We think this is a potential best-in-class therapy for the treatment of UC in moderate to severe patients, Corbo said, citing the 25% clinical remission rate in the 12-week induction study and the more than 30% remission rate achieved at one year in the 52-week maintenance study. Corbo characterised responses to etrazimod treatment as extremely strong, noting that the drug is not only competitive with other small molecules, but it's in the same ballpark as the biologics, which is very impressive. In addition to UC, Etrazimod is being tested in a phase 2-3 Crohn's disease study with data expected in the fourth quarter of 2023. A phase 2 eosinophilic esophagitis study with a readout in Q4 of this year and a phase 3 programme in atopic dermatitis that's expected to begin enrolling patients in Q4 of this year. Commercial viability of gene therapies has been in the headlines again, but PTC Therapeutics is confident that Upstaza, which has just been recommended for approval by EU regulators for an ultra-rare brain disorder, will prove to be a financial as well as medical success story. Kevin Grogan writes that Upstaza has received an EU positive opinion, which, once ratified by the European Commission, will be the first approved disease-modifying treatment for AADC deficiency, or patients 18 months and older. Children with the deficiency suffer seizure-like episodes and typically have behavioural problems, difficulty sleeping 
and suffer life-threatening complications such as respiratory infections and gastrointestinal problems. The CHMP recommendation is based on three studies conducted in Taiwan as well as from results from compassionate use treatment of patients in Europe. Before therapy, lead investigator Paul Wu Lianghu of the National Taiwan University Hospital noted that affected children couldn't even lift their head, but now many can sit, stand with help, feed themselves and some can walk and talk. PTC noted that the transformational improvements shown in the trials have continued up to nine years after treatment with Upstaza, one-time recombinant AAV2-based gene therapy which contains the functioning DDC gene. PTC's CEO, Stuart Peltz, told Scrip, What's exciting here is that we inject directly into the brain with the first ever gene therapy directly administered there, and we've shown by biomarker that dopamine is made. Among the recent setbacks for other gene therapies, Bluebird Bio in the last year has withdrawn its approved gene therapies Zinteglo for transfusion-dependent beta-thalassemia and Skysona for the treatment of cerebral adrenoleukodystrophy after failing for two years to secure reimbursement, shuttering its gene therapy business in Europe. For as long as CAR-T cell therapies have existed, their complex management and toxicity profiles have largely confined their use to large academic medical centres as well as hospital systems with similar levels of infrastructural sophistication. They have yet to really trickle down to community haematology oncology settings, but new research looks in part at how that could be feasible. Alec Diamond writes that Cardinal Health's Specialty Solutions Division presented multiple abstracts at the International Society for Pharmacoeconomics and Outcomes Research Meeting, which took place over 15th to 18th of May. The main purpose was to understand more about diffuse large B-cell lymphoma patients' journeys when they get referrals for CAR-Ts. A second goal was to understand how CAR-Ts might better move outside the academic setting. One abstract surveyed 68 community haematology-oncology practices. 51% of those reported relationships with treatment centre staff as a challenge for CAR-T referral. 49% reported distance to treatment sites from practice or patients' residences. In terms of willingness to administer CAR-Ts, 78% of the community practices reported an inability to manage immediate complications as a primary barrier for in-office CAR-T administration. CAR-T manufacturers have been working hard to increase education of community oncologists about referrals since they began appearing on the market for DLBCL. For example, Gilead Sciences focused a lot of efforts on physician education in that regard in an effort to stimulate referrals for Yescarta. But more recently, some CAR-T therapies have been developed without patient use in mind. A notable example is BMS's Brianzi, which received US FDA approval for large B-cell lymphoma in February 2021. BMS developed the therapy with both outpatient and inpatient use in mind, with the therapy showing a somewhat lower incidence of the adverse events than other CAR-Ts. But even Yescarta has been explored as a potential outpatient treatment. Cardinal Health Specialty Solutions Chief Medical Officer Bruce Feinberg noted that when he referred to administration of CAR-Ts in community haematology-oncology practice, that didn't mean small mom-and-pop shop practices, but rather large integrated oncology practices. It's going to be these very sophisticated, kind of almost like large healthcare companies, 
that have a focus in oncology care delivery, he said. Boston, where an outstanding bioecosystem is established, is the place Korean firms should go and want to go, declared Soon Man Park, who's chief representative of the US arm of the Korea Health Industry Development Institute, a government institution charged with developing policies for the healthcare industry, supporting R&D and businesses, and helping promote the country's interests in the sector. From late last year, and more clearly from 2022, Park sees more Korean companies setting up operations in the US, and previously, while many wanted to enter the country, some weren't quite prepared either financially or in terms of clear strategies, the senior official said in an interview with Scripps Jungwon Shin on the sidelines of the recent BioKorea 22 conference in Seoul. But now Korean companies have become more aggressive amid increasing globalization and the drive towards innovation to seek growth. Helped by the encouragement from the KHIDI, Health Ministry and the Pharma Industry Associations. Korean firms enter the US for several reasons. They may go there to conduct clinical trials with their pipeline and get FDA approvals and in the process may want to sell their R&D assets, noted Park. As part of a project to support potential so-called K-blockbusters in the US market, KHIDI has selected 10 Korean firms to connect with the Cambridge Innovation Centre, an incubator where the KHIDI USA office is based and located at Kendall Square in Boston. Under the initiative, the KHIDI will support office rental fees for the selected Korean firms for up to three years. The companies will also receive administrative support as well as consultative advice. Currently, there are around 20 Korean biofirms in Boston, and the number is expected to reach around 30 by the end of this year. So what are the main reasons for the Korean influx? In Parks' view, here at Kendall Square, everything is located nearby, so people can connect and meet easily. For example, when you walk in the street, you can easily see Nobel Prize winners sitting at Starbucks. Finally, in an infographic article, Vibaravi looks at data to gauge if manufacturing partners for the Russian COVID-19 vaccines, Sputnik V or Sputnik Lite in India, China and Korea, could be left holding unsold inventory earmarked for exports amid economic sanctions. In a bid to earn hard cash, gain goodwill and advance its scientific credentials via global supplies of Sputnik V, the Russian Direct Investment Fund had partnered multiple companies in India, China, Korea and elsewhere to market the vaccine locally or manufacture it for exports. But now the number of vaccinated individuals in several countries, particularly in those that Russia tied up with, has gone up dramatically. Russia could have imported the doses for its own use. But sanctions over the Ukraine conflict mean partner countries will not only be reluctant to export to a nation seen as a perpetrator of war, but will also have no certainty on whether they will be able to receive payments against orders. In India, for example, RDIF had tied up with multiple partners, including the Serum Institute of India, Dr. Reddy's and Strides Pharma Science. Strides Pharma's subsidiary Stellis Biopharma, which was to supply up to 200 million doses of Sputnik Light to RDIF for exports, seems to have realised the Russian partner might not pick up the vaccine doses as promised and is now evaluating opportunities to sell its inventory in India. But a large part of the population in the country has already been administered doses of other COVID-19 vaccines 
and India does not permit administration of a booster dose different from the one used for primary vaccination. The possibility of using Sputnik V or light as a booster dose will vary depending on individual country policies on mixing and matching different kinds of COVID-19 vaccines. But the fact that multiple countries now have a very high proportion of fully vaccinated individuals dims such prospects. Given that billions of doses of the Russian vaccine were to be manufactured, the situation could be grim if RDIF partners across the world are left holding millions of doses in unsold inventory. That's all for this week. Thanks as always for listening. All the articles mentioned today are linked in full in the article accompanying this podcast and represent just a fraction of the insights published in Script last week. Log in to access all the stories or take a free trial to see what you're missing. Bye for now.